morning, brethren. I in no way want to reduce the solemnity of what we just heard, but the presentation that I have for you today is a little bit different. Um, put this out here for a moment. Some of you will immediately know what this means, and a good brother already didn't want to reduce from the solemnity and didn't know what it meant, which is fine. So I've got two of them there. I'm glad I brought both. If you would, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't worry at all. It's just fine. And you would justifiably ask, why on earth do you have a rose gold sequin-covered girl's shoe up there? I'm going to ask you, first of all, who all was actually here in the year 2000? If you were here in 2000, raise your hand. So, it's about half have not been here. So you very well would not recognize the sermon. It was presented March 26, 2000. 19 years later almost, I remember that sermon. Partly, partly because of the little object lesson that was provided for the sermon and the way that it was treated differently. The name of the sermon is, Why Wear Pretty Shoes? And some remember, and some who were not here at that point know that sermon because at least one of them approached me this morning when he saw the shoe. Why wear pretty shoes? And again, this is not flippant at all. The Bible tells us the reason why, and I want to go over that with you so you understand because I want our church to grow. And as you can already see, our church has grown over the course of 19 years, but I'm not talking about growth in size. I'm talking about growth in grace, growth in love, growth and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first of all, I'll answer the question simply in a natural way. Why do we wear pretty shoes? Because our feet are ugly. That's right. That's right. It's that simple. Our feet are ugly. And, and you say, well, what does that have to do with the Bible? What does that have to do with the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Amen. And we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go to verse 27. For, as the body is one, and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleaseth him. Amen. And if we were all one member, where were the body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And if those members and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, 
all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We want true Christianity. And this is how you show true Christianity, it's love of the brethren. It's not projects. It's not, it's not going out and doing things in the world. It's not spending. It's not giving. It's all about loving one another. And this passage tells us a component of how we love one another as a body. It doesn't matter our doctrine, our ritual, our singing, none of it. If we don't love one another, if we don't love Christ, but we're going to focus on loving one another. The purpose of a church is mutual help in walking with God. And that's the true definition of soul winning, as it describes in Proverbs 11.30. He who winneth souls is wise. That's us in here. Are we winning souls by the way that we treat one another? So first of all, God made differences in men. I mean, it's already described it here. There are hands and there are feet. There are eyes, there are ears, there's a nose. We are all part of one body together. And no, you don't need to really focus on which part of the body am I, how important am I for various activities. Don't worry about that. We're going to worry about how we respond to one another and how we glorify and edify one another within this body. Amen. God made differences from the start in your genetics, in your training, in your personality. The Lord said, that one over there is going to be pretty, and that one over there is going to be plain. That one's going to be smart, and that one's not going to be quite as smart. That one over there is going to be bold and zealous, and that one over there is going to be quiet and timid. And then he put them all in the body together. We are not a body that is uniform. We're not. God doesn't want a body that's uniform. God is not interested in a body that's made up of strong right arms. What kind of body is it when everyone is a strong right arm? Did, do we need more than one? I mean, we have two arms, so do we need more than two? Do we need six arms? No. God said, I want it made up this way. We should be thankful, content, and receive others. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 since it's close. And because of time constraints, I'm going to speed through this. Um, you know, I like to tell you when an outline is short or easy or long, this literally is a one-page outline. This is one of the shortest outlines I've ever seen. So it is an, it is an easy one to go through. But I'm not even going to go to all the verses because every single one of these points has a verse at least to go with it. So I'm only, only going to hit the high points to save time. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ one from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? If thou hast not, as if thou hast not received it. We're different. That's not a reason to glory. God made us different. So we need to acknowledge from the start that there are people around us that are going to be very different. In this body, God wanted the different parts. He put those parts together in his church. This passage, the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 12, is all telling us about those differences and that he wants them here. That's how he makes a body is those differences. Again, we don't need a bunch of eyes. If there was one eye, there's no hearing. And, and I'm going to come back to it because it's important because how we respond to this is what matters. If someone really irritates you in this body, guess what? The supremely knowledgeable and powerful God said, I'm going to put you two in the same church. He did it for you, right, and he did right. it for all of us. Right. So when somebody irritates you, get over it. Amen. In fact, that's exactly the person you should bestow more upon and honor on, because that's the one that you think is uncomely. And guess what? They probably think you're uncomely too, and we'll do the same for you. If we're a good body, we're going to be bestowing more abundant honor on the ones that we don't like. 
If there is someone that really needs a lot from you, is there someone that just keeps asking you for things, asking you for guidance, asking you for help, wanting your attention? Guess what? God put them there here, here too. He wants them here, and he wants you to be there for them. That's what makes up a body is supplying one another. Using biblical examples, each flock, it's another term for the body, each flock has rams, the ones who are bold, that push ahead, that want to do more. It has lambs, those who are weak and need protection. It has used, they're somewhere in between. You know, they, they can need more feeding. They're not going to be as strong. They're not going to be as bold, but they're stronger. It has the sick, the feeble, and it has the deformed. You know, some of us in here have wrong concepts in the world because of how we were brought up. We have problems that we have to overcome because of our backgrounds. We're here all together in this body because God wanted it that way. He has in his flock the deformed, and there's nothing wrong with that because he brought you here for that purpose. Right. We are to recognize the differences. It's not just, we need to pay attention to them because God made them manifest for a reason. We may know the weak in faith and treat them accordingly. Turn to Romans chapter 14. If you know the book of Romans, you know already what Romans 14 is about. It is about liberty. And if you're looking at Romans 14, 1 through 4, it's going to talk specifically about strongness and weakness in faith. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. But not to doubtful disputations. Don't allow it to cause divisions, but receive those who are weak in the faith. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Right. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. God is our master to all of us. So why are you judging another servant of your master? Right. It's not your right. So if someone's weak in the faith, if they have a matter of liberty that they struggle with, receive them, love them, support them. And if you can see the fact that you have a banner of liberty that you're not comfortable with, you have no right to hate your brethren. Right there, we have a perfect biblical example of how we love one another. Because right. there are differences in liberty in here. And we, we glory in that. We're thankful that we can have differences. Because the Lord said, it's liberty. Do what you want, as long as your conscience says it's fine. So, love one another. Right there is an easy way to recognize and treat differences. We've already seen that, I mean, this passage talks about weak brethren. Well, that means that there are strong brethren. There are brethren who aren't worried about things. If you're strong, your job is to support the weak. Right. It's not to chastise the weak. Let's go back to that strong right arm. The strong right arm, you know, it's good for punching things. Is the way that the strong right arm helps the kidney to punch it repeatedly? <laughs> God gave us the example of the body. And you know what? We have people in here who are strong. Is it your job to overpower the weak and to make it like yourself? Again, we don't need more arms. We don't need extra kidneys. We have exactly what God wants us to have. So support them in their role. Feed them as they should be. We are to observe the unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians because this, this is an important passage. Because I don't want you to think that we're somehow different. You know, in the days of the Apostle Paul inspired of God, an apostle with special powers from God to do things. There were already people who were feeble-minded, weak, and unruly in the churches. I don't want you to think we're somehow any different. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. There are times when all of us are unruly. When we hear the preaching of God and we say, I don't want to do that. Well, you know what? If you see a brother in that, a brother in that situation, then you are to correct that brother, but you're to do it in love. You're supposed to bring to that unruly brother warning. There are those who are feeble-minded. They just can't remember it. They keep struggling with the same sins. Are you supporting them? Are you keeping them away from that unruliness or from that feeble-mindedness? You know, if you think, well, I'm the most feeble-minded person here. I don't know scripture. I don't know anything. My memory's failing. Well, then look around at the children. You know, we have five and six-year-olds around here that, who could use some help in not being feeble-minded. You could teach them if you don't feel qualified to teach anyone else. Support the weak. Are, those, are there those who are sick, who face difficulty, who face sadness? Are you supporting them? Are you mourning with them that mourn? That's part of what it means to be a Christian, and a significant part of what it means to be a Christian. We are to serve the differences. And here's the thing is, you know, we see the differences. We know they're out there. We recognize them. But how do we respond? We are to serve those differences. We serve them differently according to their gifts and needs. Not everybody needs the same thing. Again, you don't fix a kidney by punching it. You can fix some things by gently tapping it. We see the differences around us, and we respond differently to each individual. Those who are unruly need to be warned. They don't need to be comforted. So recognize those facts. Jesus taught us that we are to invite the lame and the maimed to supper. Mm -hmm. Do you spend time with your friends exclusively, or do you make it a point to draw those who are farthest away from you towards you, those ones that irritate you? Do you show favor to the ones who are less fortunate, the ones who cannot return the favor? Right. That's what Jesus cares about. Jesus said, don't invite your friends to supper. Invite the ones who can't repay you, the one who is maimed, the one who is poor. We are to humbly get down to the members that we think are lower. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. For those of you who in your mind, and let's, let's just admit, it's probably all of us at some point or another, but for those of us who in our minds believe that we are something, that we know something, that we're good. Again, verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. If you view someone as lower than you for whatever reason, that's exactly the person that you should be condescending to. You should go down to their level and interact with them as they need, as they want. That's how you serve them. It's not to sit here and discuss the high theology of the world when they're struggling with the day, their day-to-day -day lives. It's to speak to them as they need to be spoken to. That's how you serve. Right. It's the law of our Lord Jesus Christ that we serve one another. That's what he wants from his churches. True love doesn't seek her own. That's one of the ways that you know you have the greatest love is you're not seeking your own. You're seeking the good 
for others. We don't show partiality thinking that we're going to get any advancement out of it. Don't do anything for appearance. God hates those who do things for appearance. He loves those who do things in secret and who do things in truth. So when you're showing love, again, pick the person who can't repay you. And you don't need to do it openly. You don't, don't make announcement of it. It doesn't matter. Both Testaments, just showing an example, both Testaments talked about feasts of charity where everyone got to participate. You know, we do things like that in our congregation, but is your home ever like that for anyone else? Where you have better food than you know other people can afford so that they can enjoy it? You know, and, and let's, let's just, let's make it clear right now. I have not attained. I am no grand example of this at all. But it's the start of a new year. You know, we're close to the end of the first month, but it's the start of a new year. We have the opportunity to be different this year, to make our church different this year, to make our lives different this year by doing something different. Are you showing this in your life? Is this how you are demonstrating your Christianity? We just sang a few minutes ago in the song about charity that though our bodies burn in human sacrifice, this never could atone for sin, and that love is how we demonstrate it. We demonstrate our fellowship with God, our being children of God, by love. In the end, Jesus is the one who's going to recognize these things. So don't do it again for appearances. Do it for the love of others and knowing that God will reward in the end. And just a simple simple idea, because it's one of the ones here, the rich, as a reason for hard work, are supposed to be giving their money away to their brethren to aid them. So, you know, if you're not able to do that, maybe it's an opportunity and a reason for you to save more and work harder so that you can do good for others. Let's talk about the goal of all of this. The goal is that we want this body to be perfectly unified in love with all parts growing together. I'm glad that many of us are growing. I'm thankful for the growth in our congregation and spirituality. But you know what? If we allow others to lag behind because we're not loving them the way we should, we're hindering our own body. What happens when you have a painful hangnail and it gets infected? I don't, I don't know if some of you have never experienced it, but I have. Your entire body can feel it. It throbs. It hurts. Our body should be healing wounds like that. We should be working together to build one another up. Right. All the members should be sharing our joys and our sorrows because we know one another, because we care about one another, because we spend the time with one another to do that. Let's share our joys and sorrows. This body will give us the most as children of God when we love one another that way, when we build one another up. If you look at the church in Jerusalem just after Pentecost, what were they doing? They were continuing daily from house to house and giving each other what they needed. That's the pattern for what Christianity should be. It's total love and commitment for one another as a body. I'm going to leave these here for a little while longer because I want you to think about it. Why do we wear pretty shoes? Because there are always going to be uncomely parts of ourselves. But the way that we deal with that is not to say, I don't like that uncomely part. I wish it would be cut off and run away or to say, let's just ignore it. The way we fix what's uncomely about ourselves is we do that. We give abundant honor to each part. 
So will you join me in this coming year? Will you find that person who's most distant from you? And will you grab them? And will you pull them closer? And will you love them more? Will you find the one that irritates you? And will you get over it? Just get over it and honor them. Will you find the one that needs you? And will you be there to help them? We should love one another because this body is Christ's. It's not ours. He's the head. We are his body. Let's love one another. Thank you very much, Matthew. Anyone who's been observant knows that that whole subject of love and unity is one that our pastor, I think on a quarterly basis, makes sure we get something on. That's how important it is. Beautiful, beautiful example. Why do we have pretty shoes? We, to cover up ugly feet. Are we covering up the ugliness in our congregation as we ought to? Amen. Is everybody ready? Amen. Please be seated. And Brother Zach, come on forward. Good morning. Good morning. I'll talk to you about growing pains. Last night at about 12 o'clock, my daughter comes in, jubilee, crying, snotting, holding her leg, climbs up in the bed. Mom, my leg hurts. Which means let's go ahead and rub it until it feels better and get you something. <clears throat> growing pains. Mm-hmm. She's not dying. She's growing. She's getting bigger. The Lord commands us to grow in a lot of different things. And what's, what's a great motivator for that growth? Pain. It's not to be shot away from. It's not to be scared of. You know, the Lord gives us this, the strength. You think about the martyrs and what they went through. There's a lot of pain involved, right? Growing pains. They're going somewhere. They're getting bigger. I want to talk about David. And some of the experiences that he had, that the Lord, he embraced everything. I used a saying at the youth retreat that maybe I should, in hindsight, look back, and I found a biblical replacement for it. It's in James 1, and that is, count it all joy. David is a great example of this. You know, all of David's experiences were building him up for the next thing, the the next trial, the next tribulation which you're supposed to count it all joy, and he's a great example. He counted it the greatest joy. He, he was, there was nobody. He was unrivaled. He, this man is obsessed in giving God glory. The saying, is there not a cause? Everything he did had a cause, and it was for God's glory. That's right. Everything. If you take time and examine your life, what you do with your time, what you do with your finances, what you do with your relationships, every aspect of your life, if you examine it, sit down, David looked at all those things and said, how can I maximize God's glory in every circumstance and situation in my life? And David maxed it out. Absolutely, he was obsessed with giving God the glory in everything that he did. I like to think of it in in the growing pains with David. You know, it's funny how we think. Our minds are messed up. We believe a lie. David exalted God's word. David was full of God's word, and God gave him more. We have the Psalms to show us the revelation that God gave David. And it was because he knew that if he gave David a little, David's going to give him much. And David would even make these declarations. If you let me live, I'm going to, if you forgive me, I'm going to show transgressors your ways. If you bless me, I'm going to praise you and be an example to everybody else. And the way he ordered his life was second to none. David's out watching his father's flock. You think maybe it's not a very glorious task, you know, 
the family business. He's out there. His brothers have done it before him. And you think he's forgotten because when Samuel comes to anoint David, he's not there. You know what David's doing? David's out there becoming skillful on the harp, on the lyre, whatever instrument, creating new instruments in his mind, finding ways to maximize the glory of God. That's what he's doing. He had that time. He never wasted any time. Every second of every day was, how can I give God the glory in whatever I do? So he's out there. And how does the Lord reward him for, for singing his praises and coming up with these psalms? He sends a lion to take a lamb out of his father's flock. Now, that's not very kind. Here you have this man praising God, walking with the Lord, and now there's a lion taking a, a lamb. No. David sees it as an opportunity. Oh, no way. Then, you know, his confidence and his faith in the Lord, he knew he could go grab that lion and save that lamb. You would think, okay, well, got delivered from that one. We're good to go. You know, give me some time. No, he sends a bear. The very next thing, what happens now? A bear comes. What's he doing? He's getting them ready for something bigger. Now, do you think that was easy? Do you think it was fun? Do you think maybe there was a little bit of fear and, and intimidation involved? I'm sure there was. There was a lot of faith and confidence, I guarantee you that, mixed with that fear. And you're going to have that fear. You're going to have that intimidation sometimes when, when things come your way. But David knew he could call out and cry out to the Lord. Yeah. And it began a pattern, a life pattern of calling out on the Lord. And that's what David always did. He had a life pattern of everything. He would cry out, call out, praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. If you give me breath, I will bless. That's what, that's what I'm breathing for. I'm breathing to bless you. Now, there was a lot of crying out involved, but in a way, that's blessing the Lord. That's saying, I trust you. You are my buckler. You are my shield. When I am weak, you are strong. There's a lot of New Testament verses that coincide with it. It's amazing the declarations that David made throughout the Psalms. And it was through experience. And they weren't fun experiences. But David embraced those experiences. He embraced those opportunities, and he maximized God's glory. He didn't complain. He didn't murmur. He didn't procrastinate. We have lions in the street. They're called excuses. We procrastinate. We need to get busy and get bloody. The religion's still bloody. Paul is a modern-day David. Paul, Paul, look at the terms that Paul used. The Lord Jesus Christ, what he used. We're supposed to mortify, pluck out, cut off, put to death. Right. Nothing's changed. We still have the same opportunities David had to give God the glory. It's difficult. It's hard. There's pain involved. But it's, we're not, don't be scared. He gave us, look at life like a gauntlet. God gave us the map. He gave us the tools, the instruments to maneuver it. He's with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. When we get knocked down, which a righteous man will, seven times? No. You're going to get knocked down more than seven times. I'm 38 years old. I look back, and I tell you right now, it's a lot more than seven times. But you know what's funny? I think looking forward, I'm still going to get knocked down. But you know what? The Lord is faithful. Amen. He always picked David up, and David always declared that. Second mm -hmm. yep. Samuel 22, you can read later on today, and I would. I would take time. It takes time. It takes discipline to sit down and reevaluate and examine and meditate and think 
You know, you get busy. You're going to walk out of here. In a couple minutes, we're going to go eat. We're going to come back and have another two services. And then we're going to leave. And then life happens. Your life was given to you for one reason, and that's to maximize God's glory. And David is a perfect example of how he did that in every relationship. Now, his relationships, some of them weren't perfect. David sinned. David was foolish. And David paid the price. But you know what David did? He repented perfectly, fast, quick. His response was perfect. I think about some of the things that happened. You know, David's brothers looked at him, obviously had a different opinion. Calling him naughty. Calling him, he was proud, haughty, whatever. And, and they, that, that wasn't David. But did David get mad at Eliab? Did he sit there and, and start striving with Eliab? No, because he knew there was a cause. I don't have time. I don't have time to waste. There's, there's a job that needs to be done. There's a giant that needs to be killed. I don't have time to listen to your nonsense. There's a lot of people that don't have your faith. They don't have your experiences. I love our brother who just got up here. Guess what? You have to be patient with them. You have to love them. Mm-hmm. We don't have each other's experiences, but that's why we're here, to help each other grow. That's perfect. And that's all David cared about. You look at his relationships, the ones that he did, it was amazing what he could do with relationships. Mm-hmm. Even the hard ones. The sons of Zeruiah, you are too hard for me. But yet he endured. He tolerated. He persevered. There's a lot of pain. If you look from front to back, if you go to 2 Samuel later, 22, you'll realize that it's his declaration after he had been delivered from all his enemies. And it was all the truth and all the experience and all the hope that he found. And he wanted to tell people about it. Paul used the term press. I press. Life's it's a battle. It's a fight. Paul told you. It's a race. It requires hard work. If you're not pressing, if you're just sitting around, if you're not fighting, if you're not getting bloody, you're dead weight. The good thing about the Lord is if you're his, he's not going to leave you there very long. He's got a word for you. It's, it's on the way, kind of like he sent Nathan, and I'm very thankful and appreciative for those words and for those people that bring it, just like David was. You know, there's, there's a bigger trial. You think about some of the things that you've experienced in life. You know, to lose a job as an 18-year-old, yeah, it might be a blow to your pride, you know. But imagine, imagine having a family. Imagine having wife and kids that you have to provide for, and the Lord takes that away. Are you like Job? You know, these responses, all these things are written down for a reason. It's to give us hope in these times. And, yeah. and, and David would go to the Word. David would give us the Word so we can go to that and have that hope and have that faith and that confidence built. Something that I'm realizing about David is he didn't worry about the pain. He didn't worry about the trial or the tribulation. All he cared about was how can I maximize, how can I give God the absolute most amount of glory in this situation right now? Right. You know, you got the different outlines. Is there not a cause? You have the one, why do bad things happen to Christians? Well, the number one thing that we cover on that is for greater glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, don't count it strange when you're on the mountaintop. Look at all the men that got to the mountaintop. How did they get there? You didn't, they didn't just wander. I'm going to go for a hike today. I think I'll climb to the top of the mountain. You know, they didn't just pack a sandwich and go up to Table Rock and see the view. No, they had to fight for every step. You know, it was difficult. It was difficult terrain. 
You look back at your life, I just want you to consider your experiences. And it makes you thankful. You know, David's over there, I will bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're down. Maybe you're going through some hard times. You know, I like David because he talked to himself. I talked to myself. David would sit there and he would stir himself up. Right. He would correct himself. If he got in a funk, if he had a mood, an attitude, soul, why art thou cast down? Hope thou in God. What are you doing? You know, maybe you're like that right now. Start talking to yourself. Jonathan did the sermon, eight-part sermon series on happiness is a choice. That's amazing to me how fast it's, it's a choice. Forget the feelings. You choose. David always made the right choice. Even when he didn't, he would correct it pretty quick or be corrected and receive it. There's, a, there's choices to be made in 2019. Our brother just put down a gauntlet. Those things that he said, maybe the word fun doesn't necessarily coincide with some of the duties that we're, we have. But when you're like David and you want to maximize God's glory, you make it fun. You know, imagine, imagine if you had the idea to praise God somehow, to, to really glorify Him, and, and you, wanted to build him, you wanted to build Him a house. God says, yeah, do all that's within your heart. And God's shocked and amazed and, and, and lauding David with this such a great idea. But then he sends Nathan back and tells him, sorry, you can't do that. Now, without skipping a beat, David didn't get depressed or upset or frustrated. But, but you said I could. But No, David constantly pressing. Right. His mind is forward. He's sitting there, okay, fine. What can I do if you're not going to let me build it? I'm going to pay for it. Amen. Right responses. You have to train yourself. You have to train yourself. When you try new things, think about all the new things that you experience in life. You get married. That's new. There's going to be growing pains. You have a kid. That's new. There's going to be growing pains. All the natural things that are new that you end up learning along the way. You stumble a little bit, but you learn how to manage these things and use them and get better. Think about all those opportunities that you have in your life to maximize God's glory. Think about all the things that in the course of a day, you have these habits, and they're in your head. They're thoughts and how you think about things, tasks, duties, jobs, relationships. You need to start capturing those and run them through the Word of God, right. crucify them and kill them, make them line up with it and get excited. There's a lot of things in our lives, mine, and I don't like it, and I'm going to fix it. I look, I stop, I sit down. How do I typically respond to these things? And there's a handful of things that instantly flip. The Lord shows you. David would pray, reveal these things to me, show me. And God did, and David said, okay, game on. He didn't, he didn't delay. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't wait. He got excited about the job at hand. It's going to show. There's going to be excitement. There's going to be joy. There's going to be peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Like when the Word of God, think about what's inside of you. What governs, what drives, what pushes, what motivates. And the more Word you get in you, the more faith. And then you start acting that way. It's neat. The fruit that starts coming of it. David had a lot of fruit.
a very fruitful man, very faithful man. Just in light of trials, look ahead, understand that wherever you're at, there's going to be bigger ones. There has to be bigger ones. For your faith to increase, for anything to grow, it's time under tension. If everything's easy, you don't grow by sitting on the couch eating Cheetos, watching movies. You don't grow that way. Trials expand you. They grow you. They make you better. It, makes your, it refines your praise, your resolve. You want to pray for more faith? Guess what you're praying for? You're praying for a lion, a bear, and a giant. Right. You're praying for, you know, think about, let's go further. He's talking about people that annoy you. You're over here praying or playing skillfully for a man, your boss. You're playing skillfully for him to relieve him of his demons and devils. And what does he do? He throws javelins at you to reward you. You don't get a bonus. David, see ya. No problem. He escapes with his life, gives God the glory for delivering him, pardons Saul multiple times, eulogizes Saul. Are you kidding me? Adopt that mindset as a choice. Start training. Understand it's not going to be easy, but understand that the reward is greater. If it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. There's a lot of mottos in life. The SEALs have a lot of mottos. The only easy day was yesterday. That, there's a Bible verse for that. I can't think of it right now, but I promise you, that's, it pays to be a winner. Think about the talents. I'm a one-talent Christian, but you know what? I got David, and I'm going to turn that talent into a thousand. So you forget that turning five into five stuff and two into two. Watch me turn one into a thousand. It's, it's perspective. Amen. And it's your choice. You've got to change your mind. Nobody, I can't, there's nothing I can spin or spit up here. My prayer was to, to have you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, that's something you have to do. What are you doing with your time? How are you managing your time? What are you doing? If it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Amen. Sacrifice. David found joy in sacrifice. Count it all joy. Find a way to get to a point where the sacrificing is fun. Our brother just gave us great examples. Love is sacrifice. That's how you prove you love the Lord whom you have not seen. That's going to be pretty incredible. That's going to be pretty amazing when everybody finds it fun, sacrificing, giving themselves, giving everything they have. The Lord gave us everything. I love R.G. Letourneau. I love his shovel analogy. I keep shoveling, but the Lord's shovel's just, it's bigger than mine. That's true. When you test these things, when you try them, you find them to be true. And that's what increases our faith. It increases our motivation. It increases our joy, our peace, our love, and life. Just life's awesome. And then you can sit there and you can run to those, those giants. And you can grab those lions that are in the street. Anyway, just thinking about David. Hopefully something was said to move you. Amen. Amen. Now, with this being said, understand that Fasting is a good example. When you start denying your body certain things, your body rages. Your natural man goes nuts. 
But the spiritual man if puts him in his place. When you start sacrificing, when you're not used to it, when you're growing, it's uncomfortable. Embrace that discomfort and learn to enjoy it. Think about, remember all the times you tried something new, you tried something hard, and it was difficult. And guess what? You kept doing it. And guess what? It got a little easier. It got a little better. Now you look back, you're like, that's nothing. Guess what that means? You're ready to go into the next phase. There's, there's, there's always a next phase until you graduate, and the graduation is death. So look forward to that next phase, and I look forward to going through it with you. We're together. The awesome part is we have a band of brothers. We're together. We're not by ourselves. We're not alone. Pick up the shield. Pick up the sword. Start fighting. Fight like you've never fought before. Go out and get some foreskins. Saul says 100, what does he do? Here's two. That's the kind of mindset that we need to adopt. You go and get acquainted with David and see how he thought. Maximize every single moment to God's glory. You have habits. Go home today, spend some time, analyze each other. Maybe maybe you can't see some. Maybe you need some help. Well, have a good talk with your family. And turn those habits over into maximize, turn them into maximizing glory. Don't look at them as it's this drag. It's this burden. Stop bearing that burden. You got a cross to bear. You don't have time to be bearing these ridiculous burdens. These, and they're all up here. Change your mind. Be transformed. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you very much, Nathan.